This program is community service and is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice. Listeners having questions about their health should make an appointment to see their personal physician. Any opinions or statements made during the program are those of the individuals or physicians making the statements and are not the opinions or statements of the hospital. Sierra Vista Regional Medical Center and Twin Cities Community Hospital proudly present another edition in their podcast series, Healthy Conversations. Today we're going to be talking about gastroenterology, which is the branch of medicine that focuses on the digestive tract and its disorders. There have actually been a lot of advancements in diagnostic and treatment options, and here with us to discuss is Dr. Mick S. Meiselman, Director of Advanced Therapeutic Endoscopy at Sierra Vista Medical Center. Pleasure to have you, Dr. Meiselman. So why don't we start by you giving us an overview of what you do and some of the most common things you see as a gastroenterologist. Great. Well, first of all, I'm certainly grateful to be here, and thank you very much. Okay. Uh, as a you know, as you know, as you stated, I'm an advanced therapeutic endoscopist. But first, let me kind of backtrack. As a basic gastroenterologist, we see diseases of the entire digestive tract. You can start with the esophagus. You can talk, uh, you know, we see many patients that have heartburn, trouble swallowing, patients with abdominal pain and ulcers. Uh, we do a lot of what's called upper GI endoscopy, where we take a look with a scope into the esophagus, stomach, and duodenum. The patient's sedated a little bit. We put a little scope down, and it has a video chip. And we're able to actually visualize the esophagus, stomach, and duodenum and see whether or not there's any inflammation or tumors or, or even foreign bodies and uh, uh, all kinds of crazy things. On the other side of the coin, we also deal with problems uh, of the lower bowel, patients who have constipation, bleeding in the stool, blood in the stool, uh, and uh, difficulty uh, in their lower abdomen. And those we often assess with uh, uh, another tube, a tube through the rectum, uh, colonoscopy. So we can pass that scope with a little bit of sedation all the way up to the entire colon and determine whether or not there's blockages or inflammation or polyps or growths. Now, a, a large portion of what a general gastroenterologist does is screening colonoscopy. Patients uh, that are 50 years of age uh, are candidates for screening. Uh, this is screening in the sense of making sure they don't have cancer and can remove early polyps or polyps that are precancerous. In other words, it, you know, we do colonoscopy as a screening test, but it actually prevents colon cancer by removing uh, precancerous growth. It's, it's worth telling the audience and highlighting that this recommendation of 50 years of age was recently cut down to 45 years of age because we found out uh, through extensive research and databases, that the risk of a patient developing polyps in cancer was just as high at 45 it is at age 50. So uh, that's, uh, that's kind of an overview of what we do. Now, I, I personally uh, am a specialist in diseases uh, of the uh, bile duct, pancreas, gallbladder, and esophagus. I do what's called advanced therapeutic endoscopy, and I do three major areas of focus. Uh, one of them is Barrett's esophagus. Another is what's uh, with another scope, which is called endoscopic ultrasound, which allows me to assess uh, uh, the upper GI tract for uh, uh, problems with the pancreas bile duct, as we were saying. Cancer is very important. And then I also do uh, uh, another uh, more of a therapeutic procedure, ERCP, which is endoscopic retrograde glangiopancreatography, but bottom line is it's a scope that goes into the duodenum, and we can then uh, 
work on uh, and access the bile ducts and pancreatic ducts. But I think I've just given you an overview there, uh, highlighted by the uh, uh, of my focus, which is Barrett's esophagus, ultrasound, and ERCP. Yeah, that sounds really good. And I think one thing that's important to note that you said is that proactiveness and that the age of 45, I think all of us hear this 50 number, the age of 45, especially with the advancements of some of the tools and procedures that you were talking about, it's important to go in early um, so you can catch those things early. And um, you also mentioned that, you know, one of the more common things that you see and focus on is Barrett's esophagus. So let's talk a little bit more about what that is and how one might screen for it. Sure. Well, let me backtrack for a second. Uh, Barrett's esophagus is um, it's caused by chronic gastroesophageal reflux, which is heartburn. You know, it's a or you may you may not have heartburn, but certainly heartburn is a symptom of reflux. This is acid, as well as some other irritants like bile that come up from the stomach into the esophagus, and the patient often experiences it as heartburn. But they can have chest pain. They can have uh, fullness in the throat. Uh, 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 reflux is actually kind of a a great mimicker because it can cause a, it can present in a lot of different ways, but uh, with chronic reflux, if you have a, a genetic susceptibility, you can get a change in the lining of the esophagus from this chronic damage that can develop into precancer. That precancer is termed Barrett's esophagus. Okay, so it actually sounds like it's something that when if you do have that chronic heartburn, if you are more susceptible for it, that going in sooner than later is important because it can turn into something or it is something that is potentially cancerous. So let's talk a little bit how one might screen for it. What do you do to screen for Barrett's esophagus? I think that's uh, a great question. Right now, uh, we, are, we are working on other levels, but right now let's talk about the standard of practice. What we do is we'll take an individual that has reflux, and if they have one of a couple other factors that make them high risk for Barrett's, we will do screening with an upper scope, an upper endoscopy. Come into the hospital, we give them, as an outpatient, we get in a brief little test, we give them a little sedation, and then put that scope down, and we can visualize the Barrett's esophagus. We can visualize if there's, and we can biopsy or visualize if there's cancerous change or even a significant precancer. Barrett's is precancerous, but there's a middle ground that we can also look for and gives us a chance to intervene. Now, so getting back to your question, we, we, we take people that hit 50 years of age, and we then look at them, do they have one of the risk factors? The risk factors that we generally think about are tobacco, alcohol, obesity. Obesity is actually a risk factor for uh, Barrett's esophagus and esophageal cancer, uh, and Caucasian. turns out that it's much more common in Caucasians, and furthermore, more common in males. So if you've got the, the chronic reflux at age 50 and one of those factors that I talked about, we'd like to take a look at you with a scope. If you, the, the good news is it's really more or less a one-time procedure. If you have precancer at age 50, you got it. We can follow you perhaps every three years. But if you don't have precancer by the age of 50, you're really not going to get it. So it's really not a bad thing to do. Yeah, that's that's good to know. And in terms of, let's say you find it um, at the age or before the age of 50, how do you go about getting rid of it or treating it? Good question. Well, the first thing you want to do is you want to stabilize the patient's acid reflux. And acid reflux first of all, is very much mechanical. When you, The first thing we tell patients that have Barrett's esophagus is we got to control your reflux and you're going to have to participate. What we do is we have the patient avoid eating solid foods for three hours before bed. We can, they can have water for three hours before bed, but they must stop one hour before. 
So, so they really can't have any any liquids from any any I should say any water from one hour before bed. Nothing during the night. That alone really helps because reflux at night is really where the injury occurs. So keeping the stomach empty is is really pivotal. Uh, we may ask you to elevate the head of the bed and reduce your tobacco, coffee, and alcohol. These are things you can do with, with reflux, but when you have Barrett's, which is already a precancerous change, you can see that the uh, stakes are a little bit higher, and we really are asking for uh, uh, you know, participation on the, uh, on the patient's part. Now, if we diagnose the reflux and the Barrett's, and we, we have a positive biopsy, we then look under the microscope to see whether there's a middle ground, which is called dysplasia, or whether there is cancer. If the patient just has pure Barrett's, we would ask them to come back in three years. Some people say five, but you know, generally the whole guidelines are three years, and have a repeat endoscopy. And you'd get, we would control your reflux, and we would perform serial endoscopies every three to five years, making sure that you don't advance your Barrett's into that middle ground called dysplasia or into uh, cancer. On the other hand, if you have the middle ground or if you have early cancer, that's when you really like to see me. Uh, I uh, specialize in a technique called radiofrequency ablation. This is a technique of um, uh, addressing and actually removing the Barrett's mucosa. I do it right through a scope, so it's really like an endoscopy, but what we do is through the scope, through a diff- several different devices, I can use radiofrequency waves to destroy the lining that's abnormal. And then actually, if we can put you on enough of the medications that we use for reflux, like omeprazole or these PPIs, purple pill, that type of thing, we can have you regrow a normal lining. So actually, there's a lot we can do. Even if the patient has early cancer, I have techniques that allow me to remove the cancer through a scope. So there's a lot we can do, but it's predicated upon a diagnosis that's earlier rather than late. Yeah, it's real. That's really good to know that there is that treatment, especially that the radio frequency ablation that you were talking about, um, to kind of reform that lining. Um, I kind of want to shift a little bit into the second uh, specialty of yours, which is that endoscopic ultrasound. You know, apart from being something that you potentially use to diagnose Barrett's esophagus, I want to talk a little bit about um, using it for diagnosing and staging. Um, cancer or really anything um, that you might want our audience to know about this procedure or diagnostic method? Right. Well, um, you know, endoscopic ultrasound is, is my passion, uh, and that's actually why I came here. Uh, I, had, I was the uh, chief of a department at North Shore University Health Systems in Chicago, but it really wasn't available in this area, and I felt that, you know, it was one of those things that physicians dream about. You know, we all dream about having the opportunity to bring technology to an area where you're really needed. Uh, and uh, so I came here and set up the program three and a half years ago, and I, I would say that uh, it probably has exceeded my expectations in terms of the uh, what we have done for patients and the value that we've put forth to the community, so I'm very proud of it. But in that setting, what an endoscopic ultrasound is, it's another scope, but this time it's got an ultrasound transducer that shoots ultrasound waves and gives us a real-time picture. So as I place the scope, yeah, I'm looking on one screen that shows the picture of the esophagus or the stomach, or if I'm going into the rectum, shows us where we are. The ultrasound transducer is able to give me a picture of what's in the bowel wall and what's outside the bowel. So, for instance, endoscopic ultrasound is a great test, or the, it's a pivotal test, for um, 
uh, identifying uh, and screening for early cancers of the esophagus, stomach, duodenum, pancreas, and even the bile duct. Uh, a great test, and it allows us to, as I said, to screen, particularly for patients with family histories of pancreatic cancer. Uh, it, it's by far the best test you can do, but it also allows us to, if you should have cancer, to stage how deep it is so that we can determine what the appropriate therapy is. Is this something that we can remove? Is this something that needs chemotherapy, radiation? Uh, it's, it's really pivotal in terms of staging. We also use it for the rectum. Uh, we don't we don't really go up the colon, but in the rectum it's key, uh, you know, which is the, the lowest portion of the colon, because tumors of the rectum, the treatments vary tremendously on how deep the lesion is. So we we put the scope in, we determine how deep it goes, and also if there's any spread to any lymph glands, and it really makes a difference as to whether or not this, the the lesion can be removed by uh, a proctoscope or a surgeon can just come in and scrape out the lesion, or whether it requires chemotherapy and radiation, or whether they should go right to surgery. So very valuable it, it telling us, if you do have a tumor, what's the right approach? Yeah, it, it seems like it's great that Sierra Vista has the cutting edge, uh, the, or the latest in the cutting edge technology, thanks to you kind of bringing it to the forefront. And it really gives you that accurate picture of everything that's going on. I just want to ask one more question about this. You know, you mentioned kind of the age of 45 at getting these things checked out. Um, you know, but as with like, for example, I'm in my late 30s. Um, how do how do I be proactive about something like this? Do I go in to you know for for example Sierra Vista and I say hey I want to make sure to get um, you know tested with the endoscopic ultrasound method? What would you recommend? Well, the first thing the first thing is that if you're thinking about these things, you have to adopt a healthy lifestyle, okay? Uh, because we want to prevent even the earliest forms. I think that, and I don't want to minimize that. I think that people need to take responsibility. Uh, keeping your weight in, in, into an ideal body range uh, not only is good for your heart and, and your self-esteem, but we now know that excessive fat distribution in the body is cancerogenic. So there's a reason for people to keep their weight in, in, into the normal body weight or to keep their weight into an ideal range. There's a reason to eat right, and uh, there's certainly uh, a reason to avoid tobacco, and alcohol. Uh, tobacco is a generalized carcinogen, very bad for the GI tract, very bad for pancreatic cancer and esophageal cancer, colon cancer. Uh, and alcohol doesn't help you either. Uh, now, of course, alcohol in moderation is one thing, but uh, significant amounts of alcohol uh, are an issue. So I think that as a patient, you're, you need to, number one, if you're having symptoms that are Anything more than very sporadic, I mean, any, anything that's repetitive, any, any symptoms that are occurring weekly, you've got to go to your primary doctor or uh, uh, seek one of our gastroenterologists. Uh, I, think, I think really that's the first step. I think we all need to exercise for quality of life, but also uh, exercise, I, I, I really believe, is, uh, uh, helps your immune system, uh, and it's an important part of remaining healthy. Staying fit is something that's that's really your best medicine and being proactive with your health. So I want to shift uh, a little bit to the third technique that you work on. And I know for short it's called ERCP, but doctor, I'm going to let you say the full name and then maybe tell us a little bit about what it is and, and what you use the procedure for. Sure. Uh, ERCP is stands for endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography. 
Now, this is a procedure that's more widely available. EUS, for instance, we're the uh, center in central Cal- central coast of California for sure. You see patients from a you know hundred plus. 150-mile range. ERCP is more widely available, but what, and, but what we offer at CeraVista are all the complexities of ERCP, the real high-grade ERCP, and I'll go into that. But ERCP, is a, we pass a scope down, and what we can actually do is we can get into the bile duct and get x-rays uh, and determine whether or not uh, the different problems that the patient is experiencing is related to bile duct stones you can have stones in your gallbladder, but stones in the bile duct are actually probably in many ways even worse. Uh, you can have stones in the bile duct, and we can diagnose them and then actually treat them right through the scope. We, we, we actually take little devices through, through channels in the scope where we can cut open the, uh, it's called a sphincter, that leads from the duodenum, which is the intestine, up into the bile duct. We can cut that open uh, and then use other devices to enlarge that opening and actually remove stones. Now, often we see neoplastic or tumor blockages of the bile duct, and it's very important to open the bile duct because, remember, the bile duct connects the liver to the intestine, and the liver secretes bile, which helps in digestion, but it also secretes toxins. It's one of the ways that a liver will get rid of toxins is to, is to pass them through the bile duct into the intestine and out the stool. So if the bile duct is blocked, and that's usually heralded by jaundice or yellow jaundice, we can actually get in through a scope and put a stint or a plastic tube or a, or a metal tube and relieve the obstruction and restore the physiology uh, somewhat more normally. It, we can also, so, so it, it treats both stones and, and blockages. What we do also, um, to a very large extent, more than most universities, is we actually use what's called cholangioscopy. What we do is we take the general scope that we have that, that accesses the outside of the bile duct, and we pass through one of the channels a tiny scope that actually lets us look inside the bile duct and see what is you know, really happening more so than x-ray or ultrasound or any other approach. It allows us to directly biopsy or take samples of the tissue. We've had, in the last month, we've seen so many esoteric diseases of the bile duct. And we were talking about this at, at our uh, uh, community uh, tumor board. And no, everybody understood. He said, well, you, you know, people talk about there being only you know, 28 of these in, ever reported, and we've seen two in the last two weeks. And I said, well, you know, when you have the technology, you find these things that pre, you know, heretofore were really rare or just not understood. And so we're, we're, very, we're very grateful that we have the technology that we have. We have there's nothing we need. We've got everything that you can get. We can put lasers up there to dissolve stones uh, and uh, uh, make it, make diagnoses that we couldn't make before. So, you know, I'm in a grateful position to be able to offer that. Dr. Meisman, thank you so much. I think a recurring theme for all of us is just to hear how far technology has come, not only in diagnosing, but actually treating what's going on. For a referral to a board-certified physician, please call the Sierra Vista Regional Medical Center and Twin Cities Community Hospital Physician Referral Line at 866-966-3680. My guest today has been Dr. Mick S. Meiselman. I'm Prakash Chandran. Thank you so much for listening.